First Peter. You guys, I think we're going to uh, break a new record today. You know how a lot of times I can just cover one verse, you know, and it's like, wow, we made progress today. Today, one word. What do you think? The very first word of the book is all we're going to cover today. Anyone here, raise your hand, don't be bashful, that could use some hope. Oh, okay, so this book might be relevant. This book is written by the Apostle Peter, written to a church in desperate need of hope. I'm actually not going to give you, I'm going to give you very, very few details this time. I'll probably uh, dig in a lot more on Thursday. But just let me give you a, a real brief synopsis of where Peter is and, and where he's going with this book. This is written to, uh, as you'll see in verse 1, to a group of churches, basically to a whole bunch of people that were scattered by persecution. And if anything, the persecution is getting worse. We think, uh, if the historians are correct, that right about this time is when Nero is slaying Christians by the tens of thousands. Um, some people say it could have been up to six million Christians were, were slaughtered during this time. Peter writes to this church that is in desperate need of hope. When you know that, all of our trials and troubles kind of shrink. But this book is still pertinent, it's still poignant for all of us who have our own many versions of trials, right? This is written to a church that really needed hope in the midst of suffering. So look at chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. We're just going to read it just to kind of settle that in your mind before we uh, take a look at Peter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to, look at this, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's going to be the title of this whole series as we look through this book, this epistle from Peter, A Living Hope. If you are in need of hope this morning, the message I think you're going to get over and over again is that we have a living hope. We have a, a Savior who conquered the grave. Pretty much everything's easy for him, right? We don't have this hope, this kind of ethereal that we hope things are going to get better. We actually have a living hope who is our Savior and friend. And I suggest to you that if these guys, when they first got this letter, if they only cracked open the scroll just a tiny bit and saw the word Peter, that alone should have made these guys go, you know what? There is hope for me. If God can do what he did with Peter, there's hope for me. Peter was a walking testimony to the power of this living hope, Jesus. Jesus, yes, he died he was raised again, and now he's living to help us, right? And he's coming back again for his saints. Peter's a walking testimony to the power of a living hope. Let me give you three ways, and there's lots of them. The hardest part for this 
message this morning was trying to narrow it down to some kind of big compartments of the ways that Peter messed up. The first one, and maybe you find yourself in this category, Peter was hopelessly unsteady. He was, he vacillated like water, unsteady, unpredictable. He was fickle, flighty, flaky. In the Gospels, Peter's trajectory charts like a roller coaster, right? Way up and way down. Dizzying heights of insights followed quickly by a G-force inducing low. When you go through the scriptures, turn to Matthew 16. You'll see the first, first thing I want to just show you. And probably all of this is familiar to you. But I think it's a good reminder to see where Peter was and how he was changed by a relationship with a living hope. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? I messed that up the first time, too. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And that, by the way, is always the question, isn't it? That's the question that everyone in this room, everyone on this ball of dirt will have to answer. Either in this life or the next. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is, is he the, the guy that he says he is, which is the son of the living God, preexistent, preincarnate, came of a virgin, walked the earth, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, rose again, conquered the grave, and is now ascended to the, the right hand of the, the Father? Who do you say that I am? That's a question that everybody has to answer. Okay, but look at verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Good answer, Simon. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look, you, you can sense the uh, excitement, I think, in Jesus' voice. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. That in the Greek, it's Petros. It means stone. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Y'all, this was dizzying heights for Peter. This was a great moment for Peter. It's not as great as maybe our Catholic friends might believe. But it's still an awesome moment, right? Some, some folks believe that here in these verses, Jesus is installing Peter as the first infallible pope. I mean, you can look through the rest of what we're going to learn today and understand that he wasn't infallible. Jesus, some people believe that Jesus is promising to build the church with Peter as its foundation. Problem is, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? Look at verse 18. Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, that means stone, and on this rock, Petra, same root word but different word, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus says to Peter, you are stone, right? You are a detached rock. But on this wall of granite, we'll say, right? On this huge uh, mammoth rock, I will build my church. So if he's not saying, I'll build my church on you, Peter, what is he saying? Look back at verse 16 and you'll see it. 
Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what Jesus is building his church on. That confession, that concept, right? That's what's so exciting here is that Peter latched onto, understood this foundational uh, thought, right? This concept that Jesus really is who he says he is, the son of God, the, the Christ, okay? Jesus um, has not just made Peter the Pope, but let's not miss this. And I think we, we can be in danger of it. Let's not miss the, the wonder of what is happening. I mean, this is amazing height that, that Peter is, is uh, at here. In one sense, definitely, as you read the rest of Scripture, Peter will be foundational in the establishing of the church. Because Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. Peter's in there. And the prophets with, listen, Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Okay? So Peter is foundational into the church in that sense. And if you didn't know it, Peter, if you, as you look at every list of the twelve, Peter's always first. Peter was a natural born leader, right? You've got to give those things to him right off the bat. He was the first guy to act in almost every situation. Didn't always work out. Up till this moment, then, Peter's, he's looking at, if he's looking at his successes and his failures, this has got to be on the highlight reel, right? I mean, let's read it again and imagine what a high point this would be for Peter. This is getting a giant attaboy from the Lord of all creation in front of the other 11. That's pretty cool. Verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. All great stuff for Peter. But look, it gets better. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You could proverbially say then that Jesus sort of tosses the keys of prayer, of authority to Peter here in a sense. And it did not take long for Peter to his head to start getting bigger and bigger. Uh, his suspenders are getting really tight right now. This is crazy, but look at this verse 21, just two verses later. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Are you getting the picture? Peter, <clears throat> Jesus, I have a word. Come over here. Let, let's conference. You know, I mean, since you've installed me as your vice president. He's your chief operating officer. Let me share with you some of the wisdom, the hard-earned wisdom I've really culled here and give you some advice. Verse 22, then Peter took him aside, the Lord of all the, the universe, and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Uh, Jesus, th this whole Jerusalem thing, this suffering thing, this being killed thing, uh, I vote against that. I mean, I just said you're the son of God, right? You could do anything. Come on. Weren't you listening? Verse 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Well, there's a buzzkill. 
get behind me, Satan. You are an an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. Dizzying heights. Now this in two verses. If it weren't so jarring, if if the, the other disciples weren't probably looking at going, what just happened? Don't you think they would tend to probably want to be snickering? Great job, Vice President. (laughs) Right? Amazing heights of heavenly insight followed immediately by G-force inducing lows of hellish influence. That's what he's saying here. How unsteady can you get? Listen, Peter was the only guy to walk on water, right? He's the only guy to sink like a stone. He's the only one to, to fight for Jesus. Nobody else had that kind of courage. He's also the only guy that cut off an ear and Jesus had to reattach. Peter was a roller coaster of emotions. He was impulsive. He never seemed to think things through. Yes, he was passionate, but man, he wasn't thinking. Peter's motto was ready, fire, aim. (laughs) Peter's mantra was leap, look. Look out. Um, Is there anybody here who is run by their emotions? If you look at your trajectory, it's roller coaster. You're flaky. You're flighty. You're fickle. A roller coaster of dizzying success followed almost immediately seems by frustrating failure. Anybody here who... If you were to describe yourself, you're hopelessly unsteady. If I'm describing you, do you ever wonder if there's any hope for you? Peter would say, you have a living hope. Because look, notice what verse 23 does not say. It's surprising to me that it doesn't say something like this. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Here's what I'm surprised it doesn't say. Oh, and give me those keys back. I'm not having some flake like you in the driver's seat. It doesn't say that. Apparently there is hope for the hopelessly unsteady soul. There's living hope. His name is Jesus. If Jesus, think about it, made hopelessly unsteady Peter a, a leader in his church, then there's hope for you and me. And just so you think I'm not just being waxing eloquent, you might be like, I wasn't thinking that. <laughs> just so you know that this is real, this, this is really something that has happened in Peter's life. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And I'm going to show you how this man who always leaped before he looked, how he's changed. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 13, but before we do, let me tell you the, the phrase, gird up your loins, not one that we use very often today, but what it is, is <clears throat> describing uh, taking up your robe and uh, cinching it with a, with a belt or something like that, being ready for action, okay? Now, action, Peter was familiar with, right? No problem there. But notice what he says, chapter 1, verse 13. He's writing this, by the way, again, to a persecuted church, people who are in the crucible, okay? Verse 13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That doesn't sound like Peter. 
Gird up the lights of your mind. Be sober. That doesn't sound like Peter. Right? Meaning think things through. And rest your hope. Resting? That doesn't sound like Peter. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you guys see? Those are words of steadiness from uh, Peter. He says, prepare your mind, be sober, rest in Jesus. Now, what do you think the old Peter would have said? Don't know, but probably would have ended with, uh, sorry, I cut your ear off. See, this guy's changed. He's changed by this living hope. You could say he's changed by a lifetime of living with the living hope. Jesus. Okay, that means then that if there are people here who are unsteady, unstable, unable to to get it together, it seems like it's always highs and lows. There's hope for you. Okay, number two, Peter was hopelessly unqualified. Really, when you think about it, Peter was hopelessly unqualified, and Jesus made him his spokesman. Really. How many of you, if you were trying to build a global community, would choose as your spokesman a guy who they say only opened his mouth to change feet? No one? Then you wouldn't have chosen Peter as your spokesman. How many of you guys know the name Yogi Berra? Not Yogi Bear, Yogi Berra. Baseball player who was famous for these Yogi Berraisms. You want to hear a few? Okay, well, you sound excited. All right, here we go. <laughs> Yogi Berra said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. You got to think these through sometimes before you go, huh? Yogi Berra said, always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. <laughs> he said, baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. He said, half the lies they tell about me aren't true. He said, it ain't the heat, it's the humility. Kind of fractured the English language a bit. He says, he hits from both sides of the plate. He's amphibious. (laughs) He says, I wish I had an answer to that question because I'm tired of answering that question. He says, in theory, there is no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. And, of course, you really can't rely on any of these necessarily being true because one of the last things he said was, I never said most of the things I said. Not sure that you would have Yogi Berra as your main spokesman. And I'm definitely sure that you would not have Peter as your spokesman. I mean, what... I think probably the disciples probably were having a list of Peterisms. Okay. Yeah. L- let's just give you a few. There's the time. Well, we just looked at it when the boss has to say, get behind me, Satan. Um, there's the time that he said in front of the other 11, hey, the rest of these guys will fail you, but not me. Don't. These losers will fail you, but not me. And then Jesus said, well, actually, you're going to forsake me. Three times before the the rooster crows. And he says, no, you're wrong, Jesus. I won't do that. Uh, There's the time when probably Peter thought, well, surely I've got the right answer here. This will impress the Lord and everyone else. Lord, uh, how often should I forgive my brother? How about seven times? Pretty good, huh? Peter said, "Uh, try 70 times seven. 
there's the time when Jesus was washing his feet. And Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. He said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Okay, wash my, all of me. Not exactly has the right answer for the situation. And the, uh, the disciples had to have been thinking at times, this is our spokesman. I mean, to quote Yogi Berra again, he makes too many wrong mistakes. You want to see my favorite, the, the most glaring? Turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Peter, this is the guy that's going to be the spokesman for the early church. <laughs> Matthew 17. Verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, there he is, James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Jesus momentarily peeled back his humanity to let the deity come shining through. He led them up on a high mountain by themselves, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Get, get, get the picture in your head, okay? Don't you think that all of the earth just kind of stood still just to witness this moment? It's the only time anything like it has ever happened in all of history. The only appropriate response is silent wonder. So Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, essentially, shut up. (laughs) Okay, it was a little more gracious than that. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Not you, Peter. Hear him. Don't focus on these three. Just one. Verse six. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Right? Not Moses, not Elijah, just Jesus. But do you see? Peter was unqualified as a spokesman. I mean, he started out unqualified as a fisherman and he was making negative process. Matter of fact, (laughs) this is the guy that's supposed to be carrying the message. He actually cut someone's ear off. That's really negative process when it comes to speaking. Right? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without an ear? Peter's the only person on record that the father literally had to interrupt. He has a knack for saying the wrong thing at absolutely the wrong time. Hopelessly unqualified, uneducated. Unbelievable knack for putting his foot in his mouth. Question. Anyone here feel unqualified? Not ready? Anyone here feel like no matter how hard you try, you mess it up? You end up saying or doing absolutely the wrong thing at the wrong time. When even just to keep your mouth shut would have helped you, you say something. Do you ever wonder, is there any hope for me? Peter would say, a living hope. Jesus. Turn to Acts chapter 2. 
Most of you guys know where I'm going here. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the church. They are speaking in other languages. Everybody's going, what in the world is going on? Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, it's our same hero here, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now, don't you wonder if the disciples are like, oh, no. He's going to talk again. What stupid thing is he going to say? Well, not this time. Look down at verse 40. It says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word and were baptized. And that day, about 3000 souls were added to them. Not bad. Not a bad spokesman. Right? This fisherman who Jesus had seen three and a half years ago said, follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. He hauls in 3,000 souls in one short afternoon. That's pretty cool. He wasn't educated. He wasn't qualified. I think there's really two reasons that he did so well here and that, that his life is changing now fairly rapidly. Number one, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that earlier in the chapter. Let's just stop there for a second. Believer, do you need to be reminded this morning to constantly every day invite the Holy Spirit to come, not just to dwell in you, but to overflow in you, right? To, to fill you up to overflowing to where you can have the same impact despite your natural abilities or inabilities. That Peter did. So number one, he was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. But the second reason, turn to Acts chapter 4. And you'll see it. Acts chapter 4, look at verse 5. Peter and John are in trouble because they did a terrible thing. They uh, healed a man. <clears throat> Acts chapter two or 4, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as, of, as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. This is the high uh, muckety-mucks. This is the big council. Peter and John are in big trouble. These are the smartest, most uh, educated folks that are there in Jerusalem. Okay, verse seven, they're surrounded by them. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? How dare you heal this man? Verse eight. Then Peter, notice again, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Remember, this is the guy who always sticks his foot in his mouth, right? Verse nine. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. By what means he has been made well, well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Peter says, I'm glad you asked. And goes on this awesome, eloquent, I don't want to say tirade. This, this wonderful speech. Look at verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. We're going to see that in our, our epistle as we go. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now look, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, 
in untrained men, they marvel. And they realize, here it is, they had been with Jesus. Are you feeling unqualified, unready, uneducated? Do you have a great ability to put your own foot in your mouth? What what happened for Peter? Number one, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But number two, he had been with Jesus. See, Jesus is a a living hope. Not just some guy who uh, rose from the dead and is not accessible. Jesus is a living hope that you can have fellowship with today. You can be with Jesus and have the same kind of, wow, did that really come out of you? (laughs) That these folks here were having when they looked at Peter. Okay. Thirdly, the last hopeless, if you will. Peter was hopelessly undependable. He was a hopeless, undependable failure. Really, when you boil it down, back in the Gospels. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 26, 33. You guys are probably familiar with this story. Peter answered Jesus and said those words. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You can rely upon me, Jesus. Big, huge words, big promises, right? Seven verses later, Peter's high, low trajectory. Matthew twenty six forty. Jesus came. He's in the garden. He's asked him to pray while he's praying. He comes back and he finds them sleeping. So just seven verses later, Jesus says, Peter, could you not watch with me? One hour. Undependable. Big words, huge promises, big words, but undependable. And that's just the beginning. You guys know how the rest of the night went, right? Peter follows at a distance. He warms himself at the enemy fire. He he watches silently as Jesus willingly suffers. And Peter is unwilling to suffer. Just as a footnote, we're going to see as we go through this book, This book is filled with hope, but it doesn't. It doesn't promise no suffering. Matter of fact, there's plenty of suffering mentioned in this book. But here's the thing. It's crazy when you start to as you go through this week, if you if you decide to read through it, by the way, first Peter takes 15 minutes to read. Okay, if you read through it this week, when you see the word suffering, look around and I bet you'll see the word hope very nearby it. But Peter here is unwilling to suffer. He's allowing, he's watching his Lord suffer. And the, the vignette ends in Matthew twenty six seventy four. Then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. You see yourself in there? Anybody in Peter's sandals? Big words, big promises, followed by huge failure, and you feel hopelessly undependable. I mean, you promise yourself and the Lord, Lord, this time I won't let you down. This time, Lord, I'll lay down my life, my comfort. I'll lay down my habits for you. And yet the rooster comes and mocks you. Another day, another failure. Is there hope for a hopelessly undependable failure like me? 
like you? First, you need to know that, number one, Jesus knew beforehand, right? Jesus had called this one from before. So he wasn't surprised. It wasn't like Jesus was like, oh, man, I'm really let down. No, he knew that Peter was going to fail him. But number two, remember that Jesus restored Peter. Matter of fact, if I'm speaking to you in this particular regard, you might want to write down John chapter 21. You remember that's the scene where Peter goes back to fishing. What's the one thing that Peter is good at? Fishing. Well, John 21, he fishes all night and he comes up with nothing. Failure again. Come on. The one thing that I was good at, I can't even do that. What happened? Jesus comes, says, try on the other side. All of a sudden, there's lots and lots of fish. Peter gets out of the boat, brings this haul in. They have this beautiful yet awkward time of restoration over a fire. Three times, Peter had denied Jesus. Three times, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Really, when you boil down that that little breakfast that was awkward, you have three commands that are all the same command. Feed my sheep. And you have one prophecy. Jesus says, you will go and you will lay down your life for me. And historians tell us that Peter did just that, right? That he was in Rome and he... uh, was crucified upside down because he did not find himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. So what makes this, when you really think about it, this hopelessly undependable failure whose mouth was bigger than his heart, what gets him to the point where he can lay down his life with courage? If you're a hopelessly undependable failure this morning, do you see that whatever it is, it, it works. It is the living hope of Jesus. It's a lifetime of living with the living hope because that's what Peter had. But I want you to turn, turn to first chapter, first Peter chapter 5. We're almost done, guys. I want to show you that besides his dying for Jesus, Peter lived for Jesus. And this is really cool. I think this guy who if one of the words that really described him in the Gospels was undependable. He could say, I'm going to do something and he wouldn't do it. Right. Look at first Peter, chapter five. Verse one, the elders who are among you, I exhort Peter writing, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Just to stop there for a second. You see sufferings and glory. You're going to see that over and over again. Okay, sufferings and glory. Now look at verse two. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Do you see the language about shepherd being a shepherd? I don't know about you, but to me. That's pretty astounding. Peter, the guy that's undependable, never seems to follow through, right? He says he's going to, but he doesn't or can't or whatever. This is years later. And he says, 
he's still speaking in terms of shepherding and sheep. To me, what that says is he still remembers that command and he's still following through. That's pretty good for an undependable failure. Right? Are there any hopelessly undependable failures here? If I'm speaking to you, there's three words that I want you to write down with their uh, appropriate uh, scripture references. First word is forgiveness. If you've been failing him, the first thing you need is to seek his forgiveness. Write down John 21, that campfire scene. You need to have your own campfire scene within. You need to get it settled and know that you are forgiven. Number two, fellowship with the living hope. Write down Acts chapter 4. We just looked at it. Just be in, in fellowship with Him. And thirdly, be filled with the Spirit of the living hope. That is the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. If you, if you make those your aim, your goal, then being changed is going to be assured. Let me close with this. Christian, I hope I'm speaking to everyone in the room. Hope for us is not some ethereal wishing that we hope will happen. Our hope died, then arose again, and is now a living, breathing hope. So that means no matter your circumstance, there's a living hope for you. Peter writes to a church that's being persecuted much worse than we even have it. He writes to this church that needs hope. And I think just if they cracked open the the scroll just a little bit and they just saw that first word, Peter, if they really thought it through, that would bring hope. Wow. God can use a guy like that. God can change a person that radically. Knowing how Peter was and how he changed, I think they should have been reminded right from the get-go, Jesus is the living hope. Let me just ask you a few questions as we close. Anyone hurting? You can raise your hand if you want. You don't have to. There. Anyone hurting? Anyone suffering? Anyone needy? Anyone unqualified? Anyone unsteady? Anyone undependable? Does anyone need hope? We have a living hope. And His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your mercy and Your goodness. Lord, I thank You that You have, I believe, led us to this book at this time. Lord, as I, I saw it after you and you seemed to be saying that we should go to this book, I truly didn't really understand the theme of it. And as I began to, to pour over your word and, and see that this is about a, a church that needs hope. And it's written to give hope. I'm so blessed, Lord. Lord, you know how things are, Lord, in each person's life, in each family here. I ask, Lord, that you would let this book come to life in our church. Lord, that you would make us brave. Lord, you would make us 
good citizens, Lord, you would do the things, Lord, that you desire to do, that you would most of all show us what hope we have and and how to uh, stir up the, the flame, if you will, Lord, of that hope, how to keep our eyes focused upon you. I pray that all these things you do. And I thank you for the saints here this morning. I pray that you'd, uh, you'd bless them. Now, with individual time of just coming before you, seeking your face, being changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen.